Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. Growing up, my mom, who happens to be here this morning, had hanging up in our house pictures of me, my two brothers, and my sister. Y'all are looking around trying to figure out who my mom is. Um, you're not even listening anymore. I shouldn't have even said that. She had these pictures hanging up in her house, and, and in these pictures, in this frame, was our name. And in this frame underneath the name, there was a verse that by, in the Bible that used our name. There was the background of our name and the meaning behind our name. I don't know if you pay attention to the meaning of words, but they're significant. And maybe you're one of those people who you see a word you're not familiar with, you immediately have to look it up. Or maybe you hear a word used different ways and you kind of got to look into the background of it. Well, there's a word that is used in our society often that I think would help us to kind of know the background of it. And it is the word priority or oftentimes used priorities. We talk about needing to change our priorities and have the right priorities. But the background of this word is pretty interesting. In fact, the meaning of the word means first things or literally first thing. I'm reading a book right now called Essentialism. And the author explains about the background and history of the word. Listen to what he says. The word priority came into the English language in the 1400s, and it was only singular. It meant the very first or prior thing, and it stayed singular for the next 500 years, meaning it was never used in the plural. You, knew, you would never hear priorities. You would only hear priority. In fact, if you would have said priorities, people would have looked at you strange because in their mind that wasn't even a word. Only in the 1900s did we pluralize the term and start talking about priorities. Illogically, we reasoned that by changing the word to plural, we could bend reality. Somehow we would now be able to have multiple first things. He went on to say that people and companies talk about their top priority and their second priority and their third priority and the fourth priority and their fifth priority. He says this gives the impression that many things are the priority, but in reality, when everything is a priority, nothing is a priority. The background of that word is pretty interesting. We're going to talk about a little bit these priorities, because the question then is, what should be the priority for the Christian life and what should be the priority for the church? And to kind of lay a foundation, the, the main purpose or the priority of our lives and the priority of our church ultimately is to bring glory to God, to glorify God. In fact, if you read through a lot of um, church history creeds and one of the things that they often say is, what is the chief end of man? You don't know what it says? To glorify God and enjoy him forever, to glorify God. But then the question is, is how do we do that? Where do we go to learn how to best glorify God? What would you say the answer is? I heard like three people. Where do we go? Bible, God's word, scripture. So understand the priority of the church is to glorify God and how we do that is found in God's word. Now this morning, if you have your bulletin on the back of the bulletin is an outline. I want to give you two truths as we begin this morning 
that will kind of set the stage for everything else that we're going to be talking about. Because as you know, we're in this series on the book of Acts that we're calling Acts, the church unleashed and on mission. The church unleashed and on mission. And we're talking about what is it that God has called us to do? What is it that God has called us to accomplish? What is it that God has called us to focus on? And we're kind of unpacking this week by week, adding to it, learning more. But let me give you the first truth this morning that I think we have to understand. A commitment to the mission results in changed priorities. And I say priorities plural specifically because I know this morning that many of you have walked into this building with multiple priorities that you're attempting to juggle. You've walked in and in your mind you have all of these things, church and home and family and work and all these things that you're trying to prioritize and you're trying to juggle it all. But what I want us to understand is that when we truly say, yes, I want to accomplish the mission, I want to be focused on the mission, something has to change. I mean, something has to adjust in our hearts and something has to adjust in our lives. In fact, I worded this very specifically to where you can kind of use it as a, as a checkup. An evaluation. See, if you are truly focused on the mission that God has given your life, your family, this church, then there should be a recognizable change. So two or three weeks ago, we had a time at the end of our service where we united together in prayer. And in both services, I would say a couple hundred people came forward and we met around the front and we united in prayer saying the mission that God has given us as found in Acts 1-8 and Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that mission of taking the gospel global. Globally as well as locally needs to be a focus for our church. And so we united and said, yes, let's accomplish the mission. But if you stood up or even if you didn't stand up, but in your heart, you said, yes, I want us to accomplish the mission. But then in your own life over the past several weeks, there have been no changes and no adjustments in your life. Is the commitment really there? It's like me standing up one day and saying, I need to be healthier and being committed one day to being healthier than getting up the next day and changing nothing. Am I really committed? What's the answer? So as a church, if we stand up and say we want to be committed to the mission, but then our priorities that we brought in aren't adjusted and our lives don't change and we don't make adjustments in our own hearts and our lives and in our church, can we honestly then say that we really want the mission to be accomplished? Let me give you a second truth and then we'll get into the core of the outline. A change in priorities requires intentionality. Again, I use priorities Plural on purpose, because I know that's the mentality. Many of you came in with multiple priorities or trying to have multiple priorities. But here's what I want you to understand. It won't change accidentally. Your focus as a believer, my focus as a believer, our focus as a church will not change accidentally. It requires that we be intentional. We cannot get up one morning, change nothing in our lives and expect all the results to be different. There, there has to be deliberate steps. So in your heart and in your mind, if you look at your life and you say, you know what? Three weeks ago, I cared nothing about the mission. I committed to the mission. The question that you now have to be asking yourself is, what steps do I need to take for my life to change so that I can accomplish the mission? And on a corporate level, we ask the same thing. If my life has been, if our church has been called to this mission, what steps do we have to take in order to be sure that that mission is being accomplished? But it will not happen accidentally. It will not happen simply by thinking about it one week and ignoring it the other 51 weeks of the year. So what do we do? 
Because, I mean, wouldn't it be tragic to talk about this mission, commit to this mission, but never do anything to accomplish the mission? I mean, wouldn't that be a tragedy? I mean, wouldn't it be a tragedy one week to talk about the hundreds of thousands of people living in a close proximity where we are, but then actually do nothing to try and reach them with the message of the gospel? To me, that's tragic. So what do we do? Well, in our text this morning, the passage that Pastor Jason read a few moments ago, there are several things that we are to be devoted to. This is where our focus begins to shift. So you're here this morning. Your focus, your priority is to glorify God. We go to God's word to find out how to do that. Well, this passage begins showing us those things that we should be devoted to. And in being devoted to these things, our priority changes and our focus changes and our lives change. And it allows us to do what God's called us to do. If you're taking notes, here's number one. Some of these, by the way, we're going to go through pretty quickly, and other of these we're going to kind of dwell on for a minute. Number one, we should be devoted to biblical teaching. Look at verse 42. This verse is one of the most familiar verses when it comes in relation to the church, but notice what it says. And they devoted, pause here for a second, that word devoted indicates the intentionality. Do you see it? They devoted. It didn't happen accidentally. They made up their minds that this was what they were going to pursue. They devoted themselves, and all these things follow. Here's the first one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. Now, there's two sides of this. On one hand, we want to be a church that says we are built on the foundation of the preaching and teaching of God's word. That is a, that is a focus for us. We are committed to that. We are devoted to that. But on the other hand, it requires that you, the members of this church, be committed to receiving the preaching and teaching of God's word, committed to listening to it, committed to applying it, so that as the word of God is preached, as it is taught, it is working in your heart, working in your lives, and you are transformed, not by any program or ministry, but ultimately you're you're changed by this. This changes your heart, and this changes your mind, and this changes how you act and react and how you think. But it comes through a commitment to biblical teaching. You say, what is the counterfeit of biblical teaching? Each one of these that we're going through this morning has a counterfeit. So on one hand, we should be committed to biblical teaching. What that also means is that we resist the temptation to be open to false teaching. We say, no, this, this word, this, this scripture, this, this Bible guides us. This is, this is the core of what we believe. Number two. We should be devoted to biblical fellowship. Look at verse 42 again. The second thing mentioned in the verse. So they were, uh, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship. Skip down if you will look at verse 46. Verse 46 says, every day they devoted, there's that word again, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and humble attitudes. I want to dwell on this one just for a few minutes because I think typically in the church across America, we've misunderstood what fellowship is. We've misunderstood what fellowship means. Do you see the emphasis on it, though, in the verses? I mean, they broke bread together. They were together. But what is biblical fellowship? Understand that in in the minds of the apostles, in the life of the early church, fellowship was not a quarterly church dinner. They didn't think, oh, we need fellowship. Let's have a potluck. I'm not opposed, by the way. But that was not all that fellowship was. The fellowship that we see and we will see throughout the book of Acts was a commitment to sharing our lives together. 
To be a member of the early church was to live life in community with each other. Catch this. The church in the mind of the early church was not an event. It was not a service. It was not a program. It was not a calendar of events. To live in community and to live in fellowship for the early church meant that they were sharing life together. New churches that are being started oftentimes are really, really good at this natural biblical fellowship because they don't have a building. They don't have property and they don't have all the programs. And so to them, the church is the community they share, the fellowship that they share. In fact, this past week, I had breakfast with Adam Spurlock, who is the pastor at Restoration Church. And he is a fantastic guy doing a great job. One of the things we were doing is talking about how we can partner together to reach all 20,000 people living in Hanahan because we can't do it alone. Right. All right. Just being sure y'all are tracking with me. We can't do it by ourselves. And so we're talking about ways we can partner in the future to reach people, to accomplish the mission. We have some great ideas, I think, some exciting things that we'll be talking about in the future. But one of the things that new churches are really good at is this fellowship. Sometimes established churches with facilities, they have to be very, again, intentional and devoted to pursuing this. But why do we resist it? I mean, why do Christians across our country oftentimes resist doing life together, sharing life together? And several things crossed my mind, but the main one that I landed on was we don't like the accountability that comes from relationships. I mean, you can come in here on Sunday morning and no one else really knows what's going on in your life. But at home, the people that live under the same roof as you, they know what makes you mad. Right? This morning, I saw early service, I saw people elbowing each other. You know what makes each other mad? You know, they know how you are after a long day. They know how you react to situations, how you react to difficulty. They see what you're like when you haven't had enough sleep. They see what you're like in the everyday routine life. You know what that does? That provides accountability. You cannot hide. In the early church, there was this accountability. I mean, in the early church, they were doing life together. I mean, you see it in here that they were constantly together. And this being together built this this community of believers. But in that community of believers, there, there grew this understanding that there is accountability. See, whenever in our lives we start becoming resistant to accountability, it should be a warning sign that there is something wrong. Because accountability says, I want to be open. When we resist accountability, it says, I want to let no one in. There's usually something that we want to hide. See, in the biblical idea of community and fellowship is that we are sharing life together to where we are encouraging each other. And we are loving each other. And we are serving each other. And we're okay with accountability. Because we understand that in the environment where there is biblical accountability and biblical fellowship, spiritual growth thrives. It thrives. I mean, why was the early church so effective? I mean, why were they reaching so many people? And you read it, verse 47, how God was adding to the church daily. How is that possible? Well, maybe it's because they were living out this community and this fellowship and there was this accountability and openness and people understood what each other's weaknesses and strengths were and they prayed for each other and they prayed with each other and they encouraged each other. See, I think as a church, we have to be devoted to biblical fellowship. We have to get back to the place where we want to be encouraged and we seek to encourage. We have to be a church where we long to be loved and we seek to demonstrate love. 
We have to be a church or in this fellowship and in sharing this life together. We look to serve others and benefit others and help each other grow. And again, that does not happen accidentally. That does not happen unless we say this will be a priority. So let me ask you a hard question. Here's your checkup on this. All right. And this convicted me. And I'll explain why here in just a minute. So if we take away your family for a second, put them out of the picture, and you take away the time you were here on church property at a program or an event and an activity, how many people in our church did you communicate with last week? Text, email, phone call, card. I mean, take your family out of the way. And we're not talking about when you're here. We're talking about some other time during the week where you intentionally stepped out and said, you know what? That's my church family. I want to encourage someone. If the answer is zero. The answer is zero. Then we're probably not living in community the way the Bible describes it. I know I'm stepping on toes. Right? So here's what I want you to do. Look around the auditorium. Go ahead. Who can you encourage this week? I mean, who can you specifically and intentionally reach out to and send a note or make a phone call or visit if you have the time or send a text message, an email? Who can you minister to this week? See, if we are... If we reduce church down to an event, biblical community and biblical fellowship will never be a reality. If in your mind church is nothing more than a service, what will happen is you will come into the service with a smile on your face and people will ask you how you're doing and you'll say, fine. And you'll never let anyone in and you'll never experience the encouragement that the church was designed to give. And you'll never experience the love that the church is designed to offer. And you'll never experience the, the service that the other members are designed to give. And you'll be closed, but also what will happen is you will not have the accountability and the love. And your spiritual growth will be stunted and the outreach and ministry of our church will also be stunted. You say, what is the counterfeit to biblical fellowship? It's just that, turning the church into an event, a program. You want to know the truth? You all are the church. The church is not a building. You know, this building could burn down tomorrow. We still have a church. Amen? The building is not the church, and the programs are not the church. The people, you, are the church. So how do we do church? By being the church. Let me give you number three. We should be devoted to remembering Christ. If you continue reading in verse 42, you see the apostles teaching the fellowship. But then you also see the phrase to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. And this has a tie to the fellowship, but it specifically is emphasizing the role of the Lord's Supper and the role of communion in the life of the church. You say, what is communion again? Well, if you remember back several weeks ago when we observed the Lord's Supper here as a church, we said that it is remembering Christ's sacrifice. Communion at its core is simply remembering Christ. In fact, in the early church, in the first several hundred years of the early church, they observed the Lord's Supper every single Sunday. Every single Sunday. That was a part of their worship service, was breaking bread, observing the Lord's table together. Why? 
I mean, why would they go to why would they go through that? Why would they do that? Well, the main reason is they understood that everything they did was because of the sacrifice of Christ. See, the reason we worship is because of the sacrifice of Christ. And the reason we gather together is because of what Christ has done. And the reason we sing and the reason we pray and the reason we praise and the reason we reach out and the reason we pursue biblical fellowship is all tied to the reality of what Christ has done. And if we forget the sacrifice of Christ, we forget why we do what we do. If we forget the sacrifice of Christ, what we do is more about a ritual and about a ceremony and about a tradition and about a schedule. It's not about remembering Christ. We have to remember Christ. And listen, it is possible to have ministry, have church, have activities and ignore the person of Jesus Christ. If you were here last week, we talked about from Acts chapter two, the earlier portion that our mission is connected to a message. And at the center of that message is the person of Jesus Christ. We cannot do what God has called us to do and ignore Christ. This breaking bread together is the church coming together, saying we want to remember the sacrifice of Christ. And when you focus daily on the sacrifice of Christ, it changes your perspective and it alters how you look through situations and it changes how you react to tragedy because you're focused on Christ. Does that make sense? It changes how you work in the workplace. You know, if you're focused on the sacrifice of Christ, now going to school and going to work is not just about a routine that you go through. If you're focused on the sacrifice of Christ, then all of a sudden everyone you meet is someone who needs to know about that sacrifice. It changes you. But when we only think about it periodically... We, we, we can get off track. I'm, I'm not suggesting that we have to have the Lord's Supper every week. But what I am saying is that when we come together, when you walk through these doors, think about we are here because of what Christ has done. You take away the sacrifice of Christ, all of this stops. The meaning's gone. We should be devoted to remembering Christ. Number four. We should be devoted to biblical prayer. I just want to mention this. We've talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We're going to talk about it much more. But verse Again, 42, you see, to the, devoted to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Prayer was not just an item within the church service. It was a way of life. In a few weeks, we're going to be talking about three or four things I think we can do to make prayer more central to our ministry. But I want you to notice the word biblical. You see it up there? We should be devoted not just to prayer, but to biblical prayer. You say, what is biblical prayer? Biblical prayer is God-focused it is Bible saturated and it is mission minded. Biblical prayer is what we are to be devoted to. It is possible for prayer to be very selfish. It is possible to turn prayer into something that is all about us. Biblical prayer is focused on God. It is focused on the mission. It is saturated with scripture. Listen, we have to be careful with this because I'm afraid sometimes we can spend more time praying to try to keep saved people out of heaven than we do praying to keep lost people out of hell. I mean, we can spend so much time praying for, for these other things that God tells us to pray about. He invites us to bring our burdens and our cares and cast them on him, First Peter tells us, because he cares for us. But sometimes we can spend far more time praying to keep saved people out of heaven that we ignore and we fail to pray to keep lost people out of hell. There should be at least a balance, right? I mean, in our prayer, if we're going to have biblical prayer, we are praying, saying, God, further the mission. 
God, further your plan, further your kingdom. God, help us to do what you have called us to do. Help us to accomplish your plan and your mission for the gospel to be taken locally and globally so that more people can know you, so that more people can praise you, more people can worship you. So here's a checkup again. In your prayers this past week, how often, if any, did you pray for the mission of the church and for the mission of your life? I mean, was there a balance between this praying for believers who are suffering? We should pray. The Bible commands us to pray. I'm not saying we don't do that. We do that. We should be committed to that. But at the exact same time, much of the prayer in Scripture is focused on the mission that God has given us. Do you pray for the mission to be accomplished? Do you pray for people to be saved? Do you pray for your life to make a difference for eternity? Do you pray that our church would accomplish the mission and pursue the mission, that God would be glorified through people being saved? Do you pray for that? If not, you should. If not, you need to. So you know what prayer says? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Prayer says we cannot accomplish the mission on our own. And if we understand that we cannot do what God has called us to do in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own understanding, then only reasonable response is to turn to God who can do more through us than we could ever do on our own. He can do abundantly more than we ask or think. The problem is we don't ask. We don't ask. So let me challenge you. This week... Make some tweaks in your prayer life. Make some tweaks in your prayer life to where when you take time in prayer, even if it's just before a meal, that that you intentionally include prayer for the mission that God has given you and the mission that God has given us corporately, that people would know Christ. Pray for it. We can never expect the mission to be accomplished if it is not something that we are committed to praying for. And when we refuse to pray for the mission to be accomplished, we somehow are saying that we think we can do it on our own. And we cannot. Number five, we should be devoted to biblical generosity. We should be devoted to biblical generosity. Look at verse 44 and 45. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. This is not saying that they all just went ahead and sold everything and put it in one big pool. What this is teaching is that as, a, as needs arose within the church, people would sacrifice to meet those needs. People would sacrifice to give to the mission. People would sacrifice so that the gospel could be advanced within the church, meaning as needs arose within the members, but also without. I read about a community in northeast India. Actually, I watched a video about this. The state in northeast India is called Mizoram. It's one of the poorest states in northeast India. But back in 1910, the church in that region started something pretty interesting. They had their regular giving to the church, but they called a giving program called Handfuls of Rice. Handfuls of Rice. And what they would do is every day as they would be preparing their family meal, which sometimes was just one meal a day or two meals a day at the most, which was mostly just rice and vegetables, but a lot of times it was just rice. As they would go to prepare their meal, they would get a handful or a cup of rice and they would pour it into a bucket and when that bucket would get full, then all the church members would bring all these buckets and they would put it all together and they would sell this rice. And from the proceeds of that rice, they would fuel their mission. They would take care of any needs within the church that members have. But then they, everything else was devoted to the mission being advanced. In 1914, 
they calculated that that year, the first year they really tracked it, that they saved or had given equivalent to $1.50. You say, well, that's the point of doing all that. Well, it was a start. And the church began to grow, meaning people were being saved and people were being added to the church. And more people caught the vision for the handful of rice. And they did this on an ongoing basis. In 2014, this is still going, in 2014, through the handful of rice giving of this church in this state in India, they had given over $1.5 million. 95% of this community now is believers, and they fully support over 1,800 missionaries. Handful of rice. You say, who cares about a handful of rice? Right now, 1,800 missionaries and the churches that they are leading and the people that they are reaching and the lives that are being transformed. What would happen if in our church we became passionate about the mission to the point where we were willing to sacrifice and give for the mission to be accomplished? You know, we're going to be talking, I'm going to be talking with different groups within the church about what can we do to further this. And you're going to have opportunities to commit to be involved. And you're going to have opportunities to commit to give. But listen, it has to be intentional. Because there is a counterfeit. See, on one side you have biblical generosity. And on the other side you have the American dream. And you cannot pursue both. You can't. I mean... You're at a crossroads and they're going two different directions. Biblical generosity is down one. The American dream is down the other. And the American dream does not accomplish the mission of God. Biblical generosity does. The American dream will not further God's message and further God's kingdom. Biblical generosity does. Why was the early church so able to have such a huge impact? Well, biblical generosity was certainly a part of that. We should be devoted to biblical generosity. Let me give you the next one. Number six, we should be devoted to biblical unity. Just look at verse 44. Now all believers were together. Verse 46, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together. Fellowship builds unity and unity fuels fellowship. But notice again the word biblical, biblical unity. When we lived in Tennessee, my parents had tickets to the University of Tennessee football games. Amen? All right, got one back there. All right, just checking. You know, when we went into the stadium of over 105, 106,000 people, we had high five strangers and I mean, there was unity until we left into the parking lot and there were fights and people honking at each other and all the unity was over. See, when it's not biblical unity, it will not last. Biblical unity is focused on the person of Christ and biblical unity is focused on the mission that God has given us. And as we each are focused on Christ and we each are pursuing the mission, there is unity. If our unity as a church is rooted in an agreed viewpoint on some preference, then unity will not last. I mean, if it was rooted in football teams, we'd already be in trouble, right? There's got to be something more. Christ and the mission. Last one. Number seven. We should be devoted to living a public faith. Verse 47. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Basically what this verse is saying is that they had a positive reputation in the community. And the only way they could have a positive reputation in the community if they were living their faith publicly. The Bible points to a faith that is personal, but not a faith that is private. 
Your faith is a personal faith and that your faith will not save your children. Your faith will not save your grandchildren. Your faith is personal. But in the Bible, your personal faith is designed and is presented as public. I mean, you ever met someone who tells you they're a Christian and your your jaw almost hits the ground out of shock? It's never happened to you. I mean, you're at work and somebody says behind closed door, yeah, I'm a Christian. You're like, well, I had no idea. I never knew. You realize that that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is public to where you've been so transformed on the inside that it boils over and overflows on the outside. When people look at you, they know something is different. You talk about your faith and you talk about what you're devoted to. It changes you. Be committed to a public faith. You know what happens as we are committed to all of these things, as we are devoted to all of these things? You see what happens at the end of verse 47? And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Daily people were saved. Daily people were added to the church. We see when we are devoted to the right things, the mission is accomplished. Let me give you the final truth to kind of summarize all of this and then we'll be done. It's just a summary statement. It says, we will not accomplish the mission with wrong priorities. And again, I say priorities plural because I know many of you came in with multiple things. And here's what I'm saying to you. Focus your life on the priority of glorifying God. Go to God's word to find out how to do that. And as a church, what we're discovering is we have to be devoted to the right things. And when we're devoted to the right things, the mission will be accomplished. So a couple of weeks ago. Many of you stood. Many of you came forward. I think in both services we probably had 200 people maybe joined around the front, united in prayer, saying we want their church to be focused on the mission. It's kind of like this milestone moment. But let me be very clear. It is a whole lot easier to stand and say we want to be committed to the mission than it is to actually start making changes in our individual lives to accomplish the mission. And some of you this morning, you are not devoted to those things that accomplish the mission. And what God is challenging you with, I think maybe this morning, is that you need to change some things. Yes, you're committed to the mission, but you've got to be devoted to the right thing so the mission is accomplished. Make those changes this morning. We stand with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ.